What's up? It's True Crime Tuesday on Failure to Stop. Tonight, the story of a former police officer and hero to Kendra drama. It's the story of cannibal cop Gil Val on True Crime Tuesday. The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, idiot, wolf pack. To all others, we say hello. This is Failure to Stop. This is the number one podcast and platform where we entertain and inform first responders and we annoy and disturb our friends. I'm John. I'm an active 911 dispatcher in the field. I'm here to talk to you about true crime, but we're going to do it from a police perspective. That's right. We're not going to do it from some sort of weird. Uh, I have a full staff of researchers and Ugg boots and uh, oat milk coffee. I'm joined by former police officer Kendra Drama. She's also going to help us have a little bit of authority when talking about on true crime cases about how it really works. Kendra, how are you doing this week? Pretty good this week. Just, you know. Same old, same old, doing all of the up, research. You should make up something interesting when I ask you how you're doing. Don't just say, like, I am fine. Oh, um, yeah. Sorry, sorry to put <laughs> My you life on is the not spot. that interesting. Sorry to put you on the spot. Uh, I've just been to, researching a lot because, like you, you said, we don't have a research team. So I get to do that outside of my full-time job. I get to come home and do all of the research for this. We are full-time employees elsewhere. Uh, so I accidentally made the mistake of telling Kendra that uh, somebody out there in the Wolfpack who listens to other shows, <laughs> but not, but not true crime, was uh, that was that they liked our Nemesis podcast better than us because they were so well researched. And I said to this person, well, "You don't, you don't watch my show." And they sent me some emoji of going like this, which I don't know what that means. So let me explain that a little <laughs> bit. So more. More, more other podcasts aside from us uh, are totally scripted. They do not, uh, they do not go live as we are. You know, we're at least doing this off the cuff. Uh, which, by the way, it's good to see you, Michael Hendricks, Faulknerator, Abby. <laughs> nice to see you in the chats. We're, we're thinking about you, uh, Felony Melanie. Glad you're here. I know you listen every week. We're live. We're not doing it scripted. Uh, we don't edit our show that, so that we have this cute. Uh, tete-a-tete uh, rapid-fire overlay of little comments and little wise-ass little things to say. We're just ourselves. We're just friends talking about shit that's happened in the world. And uh, we do the best we can. And we're here to, to entertain and inform you. And yeah, we're not full-time podcasters because you're not buying enough ghost beds. And we mention <laughs> that every week. You know, it's like we bring it up. What what If you want to get like the best true crime podcast from me and Kendra, we could go full time. I could sleep on a ghost bed, I guess. And uh, we could just come up with cases and, and endlessly research and endlessly record all day and uh, buy a new wheelchair for dead leg. We could do all these things if you bought more ghost beds, but you buy the amount that you buy. So we're doing the best. <laughs> that would so, be awesome to do this full time and not, you know, and have a team of three people uh, researching and fact checking for you, for us. Kendra, Kendra's and very, I've, She's full auto. We have. She's already mad, and we're not even into the show. She's got a little bit of Optimus Prime in her voice. Uh, if you wanted to buy a ghost bed 
to help us get a new computer for Kendra too. That would be helpful as well. Oh my God. But it is, a, it is a true crime tradition though, that whoever the girl is on true crime, that she not have equipment as good as even me. You know? I'm not, you know, it's like, it's okay. I'm just it, <laughs> perpetuating <laughs> a stereotype here. You Well, you're reminding us of what we love about true crime Tuesday by not changing things, you know, making things better is a form of change. And I'm we trying. Not... <laughs> you took a good job. I made a change and it got worse. So <laughs> it was you, fine before. <laughs> you did a government upgrade where you upgraded us by government standards and now we can actually do less than we could do before. Yes, I know. We will we know. will get you figured out. Uh, you know, 2025 is gonna be the year that this show will be four years old and we finally hit our stride. But that, that is okay. Uh folks, uh before we get into it, I do want to talk about uh the people who help make the show popular possible. Not who makes it popular, because that is right here. I'm the one doing that. <laughs> and uh, you know, possibly Kendra as well. But uh who makes the show possible? Well, I mentioned Ghostbed. But I also want to talk about uh, easy classes on YouTube. If you John. want to go over to, to YouTube and check out easy classes, it can help you know what's going wrong with your computer. That uh, That is being run by a guy named Ramesh. Ramesh will tell you how to turn up your volume on your microphone, how to update drivers, and he can help you with all your computer needs. It's a good place to go over there if you don't know what the hell is going wrong. And... Uh, when you try to call your friend in another part of the country on how to fix it, even your phone doesn't work. Ramesh steps into that gap and will get you there so that your shows are possible. So, so thank you to Ramesh over at Easy Classes on YouTube. We appreciate you. The show is also brought to you by Zaps Voodoo Chips. If you are, if your energy <laughs> level is pegged all the time and you are always angry, even when you're agreeing with your friends. <laughs> Maybe you just need to eat the best possible fucking chips on earth. That's Zaps potato chips. They are kettle cooked. Uh, the flavor is like barbecue and also salt and vinegar. You can find these at a at a sandwich shop near you, possibly at a vending machine. I'm sure they're distributed regionally, but be on the lookout or a bolo. That's what we call it in the cop biz for Zaps chips. Find a variety that you love. Kendra loves the voodoo variety. They may or may not be related to uh, the Haitian tradition. Of various cultist practices that have to do with reviving the dead and various other things also of course the show is brought to you by ghost bed folks if you want to sleep so good it's scary and if you want to die and get sleep like you've been dead and then wake up in the morning but no voodoo involved and no chips involved you can go to ghost bed they, what are they you talking website. about I'll just try to tie it all together. So you got to have a good segue. People like them sure. on a podcast. Sure, sure. All right. Okay. So the Kedra's going to talk to you about ghost bed. <laughs> it's a bed. Was was I, I doing a good job? <laughs> you was kicking me while I was down about the class easy classes. Okay, you started this. I'll do it. Okay. Folks, Ghost Bed's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful sponsor. We appreciate them sponsoring Failure to Stop since long before Kendra and I even got here and not dumping Failure to Stop as soon as we got here. We appreciate that. Uh, go over there, check out their adjustable frames, their mattresses, their cooling technology. They, uh, they uh, support first responders, former sheriff deputies, crooked ones, good ones, supported both kinds. 911 dispatchers, hardworking ones, ones that fall asleep at their console. Uh, they support all of them, especially the, the sleepy 911 dispatchers can get better <laughs> sleep at home. Uh, they definitely support firefighters who are sleeping while on duty. 
Uh, but go over there and use the offer code Wolfpack. You can get 40% off. If you see a better deal there, we'll take it. Don't be a dope. Get the better deal, but use Wolfpack when you check out in the comments section. That way they know that failure to stop sent them. And that way they keep kicking money back to us and keep us going. It's called capitalism. Look it up. It's a great system. It's the greatest system in the world. It's uh, how we got uh, invented the airplane, put a man on the moon, and how the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl five times. Also, if you want to support failure to stop, Go over to Factor Meals, use the offer code WOLFPACK50. And if you're like me and you're eating your feelings because of the way the playoffs are shaking out, uh, <laughs> 2024 is going so bad and so weird that Joe Biden has been uh, put up put forward by the Democrat Party to be our president for another four years. And the Lions may be going to the Super Bowl. Soon hamburgers will be eating people and rubber brains will be flying around, smashing into windows. That's the kind of year it is. Grocery-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Grocery-wise, if you want to help yourself uh, contend with the horrors of the outside world and maybe more with just the delicious aiolis and succulent Chinese <laughs> go over to Factor Meals. They could you brought right to your house. Reverse trick-or-treat style. Uh, brought right to your door. You can choose from over 300 options, including breakfast, the best meal of the day. And they could be brought right to your door. This is fresh food throw to the microwave you're going to treat yourself it's a gift from the wise you to the hungry you of the future i definitely recommend factor meals you'll be shocked and surprised how good it could be do yourself the favor of making your life easier simplify your life don't be out in the cold just come home after a long shift and uh, treat yourself right uh, get the nutrients the vitamins and the, the mental health that you need from factor meals go over there use the offer code wolfpack50 keep supporting uh failure to stop we appreciate you factor meals as always kendra yes. Kendra, John, <laughs> what? <laughs> I love it. We are clearly on an audio presentation. I throw the <laughs> podcast over to her. She's what? <laughs> I was talking over you. Oh, sorry. Oh man. So today we're going to talk about Gil Valley, who was a cannibal cop, is what the media put him out as. That's what they he call him. Yes, he was indeed a cop. Um, he was born in Queens, New York. He lived a pretty normal life growing up. I think he played baseball. He went to a Catholic school. Um, he grew up in a normal family. And in 2006, he joined the New York City Police Department. Um, he met his, there he is, he met his wife. And they got married in... 2012 i think they met on okay cupid <laughs> and yes and they got married and they had a kid they had a daughter um up until right after his daughter was born like i said normal guy you talked earlier about how um you know a lot of a lot of police officers and for other first responders you know, they, they see a lot at work and they've got stresses and they come home and they and they handle these stresses in various ways. Some are pretty productive and others aren't. You know, a lot of a lot of cops drink. We all know that. Um, some engage in some reckless behavior, but nothing too bad. Some um, engage in extramarital affairs and things correct. like that. Correct. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm, I was getting at. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, some cops do, and, and it's not just police officers. Like, people of all walks of life uh, handle their lives inappropriately, engage in destructive things. But 
police officers have tough jobs. And if you listen mm-hmm. to Gail Val talk about everything that we're about to say, he would say, you know, there's no such thing as a cop that gets off of work after the night shift and just comes home and goes right to sleep. There's things that police officers do to, to blow off steam, you know, which doesn't have to be a euphemism, but might be. Uh, unfortunately, in Gil's case, it involved him getting on the Internet. And unfortunately, just, uh, you know, the typical victoriasecret.com or kmart.com slash lingerie was not good enough for him. He had to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could see the whole Sears catalog online now. You don't have to you don't have to have it delivered to your house. Uh, he uh, he decided to go to a little bit of a darker web. Uh, there's some stuff out there on the Internet that maybe you're not ready to to deal with. And if you're not ready for that, then that's too late for you because you're about to hear about it. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I will tell you right now. Uh, there's some people in the Wolfpack who like to echo sentiments from one Eric Tanzi saying, we don't kink shame around here. I want to let you know, I have never said those words. I have never said we don't kink shame around here. Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, we fucking kink shame. You know why? Because I'm on the show and I'm not Eric Tanzi. I'm the opposite of him. <laughs> I have gone on record on this show before to say that not only. Well, I'll just say that I don't think anyone should have sex ever, ever again. I think it's gross. I think the human race <laughs> should just come to an end. I don't see the point of keeping the silly facade going. And uh, there's a lot of stuff going on with that activity that is uh, very untoward. And I think that there's other more productive things that we could be doing. We could learn how to bake, how to sew, macrame, outdoor activities, baseball, you know, really get back to the wholesome stuff. So this is not wholesome at all what Mr. Gil Val uh, is doing. <laughs> and uh, he's he's on the dark part of the Internet. And so what are some of these people on the dark part of the Internet? Mostly the Russian parts. What are people into? They think it's cool to uh, be sexually aroused by certain acts of violence. Now, we're a true crime show, so we've talked about that before. You may remember those pictures of... Uh, the BTK killer where he's stringing oh, himself yes. up in the woods and he's got all his weird stuff going on. And, uh, you know, BTK was a, was a bad case because he was someone who was going out and doing these things. Well, unfortunately, Gil Val is sort of in, into the same sorts of things. He's sort of a proto BTK killer because he never killed anybody. And as far as we know, he never raped anybody and he never uh, did anything to anyone physically. But this, this this issue with Gil Val is, is where do we draw the line? So Gil is into acts of violence sexually. He likes the idea of stalking women, uh, <clears throat> abducting women, packing them up in suitcases, you know, not like overnight, like is how some people get killed in Florida. Uh, but then uh, <laughs> taking them places, tying them up, putting them on spits, roasting them over a fire, cooking them alive. And then uh, raping them and then eating their meat. Uh, It's pretty much the most disgusting thing that you could ever think of that uh, could be a sexual fetish. You know, some things uh, that are sexual fetishes, like they're just gross to me and I don't understand them. Like anything that has to do with feet. Kendra, I've said this before to you as well. You know that I'm, that I'm, this is 100% the real me. More socks, the better. And And it's, I think feet are gross. I don't think feet should ever be visible. Um, I turn off the light when I shower just so I don't see my feet. It's very dangerous. I've fallen many times. That's why I stopped drinking out of glass bottles when I shower because it's just became too much of a thing. The The amount of time that I have spent like uh, dealing with foot injuries was uh, I would pass out not from the sight of blood or lacerations, but just from seeing my actual feet. Feet are gross. I don't think men should wear sandals or Crocs. 
I don't like that even women do it. I don't like that when I go to the beach, it's totally unacceptable situation. I have my beliefs, okay? <laughs> and I, and I, don't think, I don't think feet are okay. So you can you- imagine how horrified I am by a guy like Gil. Like, no one's more horrified right now than me. And he's in. He's into these. Uh, he's terrible acts of violence. Are you okay? I may have to leave. You doing so all right? The show may be turned over to you because holy fuck today. I just. <laughs> well, you it. mentioned you mentioned that he was into all these like crazy sexual fantasies, um, but he also was a before he was a police officer. He touted himself as a novelist. He was a writer. He was he would write these books and these. Um, short stories and things like that. And I believe personally, that's probably what drew him to these types of forums that he found himself in to begin with on top of his curiosities, um, to say the least. Um, He would write all kinds of things, not necessarily sexual things, but he found his niche when he decided that he was going to find his people on the internet. And he would write these long, um, drawn out short stories about how he would carry out his fantasies of stalking and kidnapping women. Um, And all while this is happening, mind you, he's working. Don't put that. (laughs) If you're watching, you'll understand why I'm horrified right now. Um, (laughs) I just want to remind everyone that all while this is happening, (laughs) happening, He is an active law enforcement officer at the New York City Police Department. Um, He is married with a child. So uh, this is extra disturbing for those reasons. And um, you mentioned something earlier that reminded me of, you know, in true crime, we do see this a lot where people have these these um, sexual drives to do crimes. Not everybody. Some people aren't, some of these serial killers are just driven by actual murder, but usually it originates in some sort of sexual fantasy. And that's probably why this is such a controversial thing. Um, Because as you mentioned, he didn't actually ever murder anyone or rape anybody that we know of, but it's kind of like, where are we, when do we start getting concerned about the signs? Right. So he's, writing these these fictional um, stories of these of this stuff on the dark web and um, I think it was called dark net fetishes was the forum or something along those lines that he was writing in and his big thing was um, he made it very clear to everyone on this forum that no matter what I say I'm just it's just a fantasy right and he would write about doing very specific, um, <laughs> very specific like torture techniques and things to these women. And then eventually, like you said, cooking them and eating them. And that was his big thing. He wanted to try human flesh. <laughs> uh, you're muted, John. <laughs> he had complex details about he had complex details about having like a torture chamber in his basement about having yes. a cabin out in the woods where he would do these things so he would write these things and then people would ask him like are you for real dude and he would say yes i'm for real but all under this banner of you know everything i say is fake so he kind of tried to play it both ways and uh that would obviously come back to haunt him um yes and that was 
Yes, thank you for saying that because that was the that we'll get into the ethical discussion of this in a minute, but that was the part that got me. You can't just say, I don't mean it, and then say whatever you want and then say I mean it. And then when someone says, Do you really mean that? He's like, No, I said I didn't mean it. <laughs> Silly. Yeah, um, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> right. So because this is his attention, all pretty much all of his attention is now going to these fetish sites and this forum and his friends he's cultivated a bunch of friends and and um, users that he regularly communicates with and as these things go um, you know he is a police officer and he's working shifts and he's gone a lot he's um, compound that with a newborn and a young marriage you know and his time is being taken away from his family between all of these things you know mentally he's not really checked into his relationship with his wife and this obviously sparks some sort of suspicion or or some sort of issue within with his wife. And she kind of digs around a little bit um, on the computer, trying to figure out what's going on. She she's looking up things like, you know, my husband doesn't love me anymore. What do I do? How do I fix this? Things, things like that. It's quite sad. Um, but it's so typical. And <clears throat> well, except for the dark fetish part. <laughs> That's not typical, but she stumbles, a, she, uh, unfortunately for Gil, she stumbles upon his, his site and his workings. <clears throat> and she is very frightened and shocked by this. I'm sure she's maybe angry, scared. She decides that she's going to notify um, the authorities about it. So <clears throat> she does this and Gil is, he is arrested along with another person that he'd been communicating with and writing these stories back and forth to. I'm sure there were some correspondence in there about actually meeting up. I didn't read through all of the, um, I didn't read through every single one of the correspondent, the correspondence back and forth, but they they were basically alluding to the fact that they wanted to do these things together to these women. And Gil was talking about, I think he mentioned over a hundred women and some of these women he knew in, in his personal life. And that was what was, I believe probably the most concerning with all of this because he's saying that he wants to do these horrible things. He's kind of making plans with this, other character that he met through this fetish site and he's including names of women he knows in real life. Uh, on top of all of that, he took it a step further and um, he was using some databases that law enforcement uses to look up, you know, criminal, like through criminal investigations. One that he used was NCIC, which it's is a national like, no, NCIC yeah, the FBI, is the... the FBI is pretty serious about that. Like they tell you, like if you misuse this, even if you do a curiosity check, like even if you just run a license plate because they're parked behind you, or like if you like uh, wonder which vehicles are registered to your ex, like you can be fired for that, you can be prosecuted for that, and you can be sued civilly for civil rights violations for that. So mm -hmm. like uh, using NCIC for something like that is a, is a really big deal. But even if you were just using your department's database, like that would be a huge problem. So, you know, 
as we're going to get into the the ethical discussion about whether or not he did was right or wrong, I think we can all agree that misusing your authority and your position of public trust uh, to in the furtherance of your your sexual fantasy life is a serious problem. It's it's reasonable enough in my mind that obviously he should not be a police officer. Um, and uh, he might be subject to those other things. But even if you ultimately think what he was uh, tried and convicted of, uh, that, that that shouldn't have happened, I think we can all agree that he shouldn't have, he shouldn't be in the position where he has access to those databases. And, and more than that, I think we can all agree that like, suppose, so, so he has this dark fantasy life on the internet that he, uh, you know, kind of is in, this, in, in these role-playing games with these other guys, you know, one in America, one in Pakistan, one in the United Kingdom. Um, I think it, it crosses the line once you start talking to people that you know. He mentioned one girl that he went to high school with, uh, his one of his wife's friends, and so if, especially if you're if you are role playing, like uh, keep it all fictional, you know. Like I think that's that's an easy way to keep yourself from getting jammed up by the feds. Once you start talking about you know kidnapping your wife's friend Kimberly or whatever her name is, all yes. of a sudden it seems it starts to seem much more realistic to someone who's monitoring you because uh oh, Kimberly is a real person who's subject to the protection of the FBI. Yes, and <clears throat> uh, it's it's particularly frightening to me when these types of cases happen where um, you have somebody who there, there's systems set in place um, for law enforcement, like, like uh, vetting law enforcement officers and it's not perfect and humans are humans and they can lie and pass things. And like it, it does happen or you just don't catch things. Like I said, Gil was a very normal person up until this point. Um, well, he's, he's, I mean, He's always had this thing inside of him. He he wrote a couple of books after all of this blew over, and and one of them was like a, not a memoir, but uh, an autobiography essentially of what happened. And he talks about how he's always had these urges, um, which makes sense. I don't think you come up with these urges overnight, but there's things about people you'll never know. Um, but the mechanisms that are in place for vetting people to become law enforcement officers are, are pretty thorough and they usually catch um crazy things where you know it's very obvious that this person should not be trusted as a law enforcement officer because for multiple reasons but one of them is you you get access to all of these databases and you are um you're trusted to know how to use them properly and then have the integrity to use them correctly uh, for the purpose that they're intended for. And it's very frightening to me and I'm sure to everyone else that, you know, somebody that you would think you could trust who's supposed to, to help and, and um, have the utmost, you know, integrity and, and honesty and all they're using these things to conspire or at least look up potential victims of horrible crimes and it's it's just very very scary because it makes you wonder like do you really know somebody you could be sitting well, next to somebody that wants to do that to you right now and you don't know it right okay i mean i, I agree with you but l l let's take a step back because of course the feds go after him and of course he eventually gets put in front of a jury and everything that is googling and all of his activity that's on this website is going in front of them and uh even though he's never he never 
I guess in this man's opinion, he never took an overt act in furtherance of a conspiracy, meaning he never, you know, uh, went out and bought this cabin. He didn't really have the trap set up in his basement. He never actually met up or made any kinds of plans. Well, I mean, he made plans with this uh, this other person that they ended up arresting, saying, hey, on Tuesday, I'm going to call you about this. We're going to make this happen or whatever. But uh, this was all just talk. And it's very hard to understand why him talking and making making these plans about hurting people is something that he's going to be getting his rocks off about. Uh, but it is. It's him saying, like, hey, on next Tuesday, I'm going to call you and we're going to see about, you know, picking up Kimberly and mm-hmm. uh, we're going to take her out. And and the things that they said to each other about this was so disgusting that I won't repeat it. I mean, it doesn't bear repeating, yeah. but they're making plans of, of harming her in all these terrible ways. They never went through with that. So I throw it out to you, the audience. Something that was brought up at some of these documentaries that talked about him was that some of us uh, treat the internet, uh, whether it's these websites, these dark web websites, or uh, Google, we treat them like uh, a a closer friend and confidant than our best friend. We're searching for things and we're Googling things that we wouldn't tell a best friend. And we're putting this information out there. And uh, when we do those things, suppose you know what the stuff that we're asking about asking google about uh how would that be viewed by your employer how would it be viewed by the public that has trust in you the stuff that you're googling should you the stuff that you're googling should you be put in a position where that's revealed well you know as a police officer are you are you really held to a higher standard do we have the right to hold police officers to a higher standard um and i'm not i'm not saying that we don't i'm saying you know maybe we do something i mentioned to kendra before the show is is that if you're the kind of person where uh even if you never have the intention of harming anyone and you actually view the acts of of of, you know stalking and rape and abduction and and assault and murder and cannibalism even if you're a normal person you feel that you see these things as as truly revolting as as acts followed through upon but you get your kicks off of thinking about them and talking about them ask yourself what effect would this have on my career if this was made public uh, what effect would this have on on my relationship? And if those and if the result of that is is that your career would end in shame and you, that your marriage would be broken, it's probably the case that you need to go out there and get some therapy. Um, all of us have like a, a side of ourselves that we don't share to the public. We you know uh, we have things that we're searching for and thinking about that we don't want those things to be made public. No, they're you know probably not in most cases just statistically going to be as egregious as what. Uh, Gil Val is, is thinking about and looking into, but I guess I do want a little bit of understanding of what's going on with this guy. I mean, you can have understanding without condoning him. Like, I'm not asking you to, to condone any of any of his things as reasonable or okay, because I think they're quite deviant and um, I think left unchecked that they could escalate towards actual, actual acts of violence. Mm-hmm. I think that's entirely possible. But what I don't want to see is the criminalization of thoughts. Like in this country, you are allowed to think about whatever you want, and it's not a crime. Um, it's in the book 1984 that a person has what the state deems to be deviant thoughts, and uh, he finds himself wrapped up in prison for the things that he thinks. And I think that you have the First Amendment uh, protects your, your self-expression to say these things. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have consequences in your marriage and your job, but we should not be criminalizing what people are thinking. So is Googling something an overt act in furtherance of a conspiracy? If you Google like how to abduct someone, uh, what's the best kind of rope to use to bind someone? Like what's the internal cooking temperature of an adult female woman? Like, are you know, these are obviously 
uh, horrible things for you to be to be searching for. But are they are they overt acts and furtherance of a conspiracy? And the reason why I ask you this is that what is conspiracy and when is it a crime? Right. Two people talking about something and planning something are conspiring. They might be conspiring to ha have a surprise birthday party for their friend Kendra. It's entirely possible that that's their conspiracy. But a criminal conspiracy is when two people are planning uh, to commit a crime together. But at what point do you go from having role play and joking around to actually being engaged in a crime? And I, and I guess I'm asking the audience, what is that? Right. Like we have examined so many cases where. There's so many people where you're like, well, I wish I wish the feds had caught them. Like why they, mm -hmm. they did so many things. Why didn't the police ever get involved? What's the line mm -hmm. between individual liberty and your freedom for your own privacy of your own thoughts and your own self-expression on a website? And when does it become a crime? This is the example I gave Kendra before the show. Suppose you and a friend, you know, you're just real sick of Hunter Biden being able to bring cocaine into the White House and you're sick of... Uh, you're sick of the FBI investigating people who go to school boards and want more traditional education for their public education dollars. And you feel like the federal government is uh, wasting time uh, ignoring uh, serious crimes and nepotism at the highest levels. And uh, they're calling people at, uh, at school board meetings uh, terrorists, which in a post 9-11 world should shock the conscience of anyone. So suppose you and a friend are just saying, like, the whole system's corrupt. We should bring the whole system down. I don't like what the FBI is doing. And suppose you take it maybe into a distasteful place, right? Let's suppose you're saying something that maybe you shouldn't be saying just because, like I said, it's distasteful, not because it's necessarily immoral or even against the law. But you say something like, yeah, you know, that Timothy McVeigh guy, he sure know, he sure knew what, what to do when it came to the FBI. And of course, Timothy McVeigh uh, being one of the Oklahoma City bombers. He's in response to Ruby Ridge and Waco. He he uh, detonated the uh, uh, truck outside of the Alfred P. Murrah federal building in Oklahoma City in 1995, killed a lot of people. Morally reprehensible, not okay, not the way that you address your, your grievances with the government. But suppose you just said that to a friend, right? So you and your friend are discussing, uh, you know, that uh, may, may, maybe you think that, that violence towards the government is the solution. Suppose you, that's just a joke and you find it reprehensible and you don't have the cojones, the stones or the intentions to ever go out and do that. But then you go down to your local, uh, you know, grain and feed store or hardware store or whatever. And you you pick up a bag of fertilizer because you need to grow soybeans this uh, this spring or whatever. Well, to an FBI agent who's monitoring your conversation and you're talking about acts of violence against the government, and then you go out and buy uh, material, which could be used in an improvised explosive device, you've taken uh, you know, an actual step in furtherance of your criminal conspiracy to commit acts of violence against the federal government. Do you see how uh, just having an idea and just having a thought and having an opinion and then voicing it with someone who's like-minded like you and then uh, going on a Google search or something, do you see how it can be viewed as a criminal conspiracy? So I don't want to like use the phrase slippery slope, but there you have it. It's like, at what point do we discern that people who just have their own private thoughts and feelings at what point does it become uh, a criminal conspiracy because we do want to protect people like kimberly or whoever from being abducted and raped and uh the the victim of cannibalism it's the it's the federal government's job to protect people from violence like that's one of the few things i think the fed should be doing uh, but you have to decide for yourself you know what's the line being drawn by morality of when we will intervene between when someone has the right to their own private thoughts and when do they actually take an overt action in furtherance of that step. And I and I say this as well, is what is the line and, and how is it drawn? Well, it's drawn by our common morality. Well, that line's constantly shifting. So take this country back 400 years to the Puritans. What would the Puritans say 
is something that's uh, gross and disgusting and uh, are, are about the same kind of morality as Gil Val. I have the feeling that if you asked a Puritan and you explained to him that someday 400 years from now, uh, men and women will get together and they'll talk about the salacious crimes, the, the, the terrible deviant acts of people like Gil Val. And we do this for uh, commercial reasons, you know, because we sell commercials here and we do it for entertainment purposes, right? Like you guys all in the audience, like listening to stories of the BTK killer or Gil Val or whoever else, they would call this, uh, you know, gossip. They would call it wickedness. They would say that this is the product of idleness and they have all, all kinds of other problems with people talking about uh, sins uh, for entertainment. So uh, by a puritanical standard of morality, Kendra getting on her computer and uh, being well-informed and well-researched about this, first of all, she's a witch just because she's a female with a, with a magic box computer. Like the, there's puritanical problems there already. But, uh, you know, Kendra would be seen as... Uh, Definitely uh, someone who's prurient, you know, someone who's akin to uh, Gil Val uh, by their standards. And uh, so why am I even talking about 400 years ago like it matters? Well, I'm just <laughs> saying I'm saying the line is constantly shifting. Right. So our, our morality now is different than what it was 400 years ago. Well, our morality is also radically different now than it was 50 years ago. Right. So 50 years ago, right after the end of World War Two, we would not have had drag queens having read a book time in local libraries and in schools. So our, our line of what is acceptable in terms of our, our publicly defined morality is constantly changing and it's constantly getting more liberal in my opinion. So where are we going to be at in 50 years from now? Uh, I, you know, are your thoughts going to be criminalized because of that just seems to be the way that society is going or uh, are people like Gil Val and, and his uh, acts of literature and role play going to be seen as, as rather commonplace? Is he going to just be seen as sort of like uh, the next heir apparent of Stephen King when it comes to uh, to acts of violence and sexual sadism? Another thing we discussed before the show, and I can see Kendra's about to fall asleep, so I'll shut up here soon. But like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm listening Stephen, intently. Thank you. Stephen King wrote a book in 1986 called It. It's one of his most praised and lauded books. In fact, they made it into multiple movies. It's been adapted multiple times and into multiple parts. And it's the most uh, unchained Stephen King book there is. First of all, it's longer than the phone book. It's an incredibly huge, very long book. It's when Stephen King <laughs> yeah. was still doing cocaine, but he was successful enough that no publisher would dare give an editor to Stephen King. So it's the most Stephen King book that there is. And in this book, there is a scene in which all the child children protagonists of this book engage in a uh, in an orgy. They're all having sex with each other. And that's something that you probably weren't aware of because it's never been uh, artistically or authentically adapted to any of the miniseries or movies because it's just so incredibly gross. But how do we look at Stephen King? We look at him like he's a genius, like he understands human behavior, like he really knows how to ch tell a chilling story. Uh, like, you know, he's he's had something like 80 books published. How many of them have been made into movies? He's uh, one of our most celebrated and, and historically successful authors. We don't look at Stephen King like he's uh, a creep, uh, but maybe maybe we should, you know, in, in lights of people like Gil Val. So, so how do we deal with changing lines of morality? How do we do with, deal with uh, when to intervene on someone's thoughts and when they become actions? Uh, when you talk to different people, you'll get different results. And the reason why I bring all this up is because we... What has happened to Gilvell? Kendra, I don't know if you want to talk about the results of, of his uh, his criminal proceedings and his trial. Yeah, this this case is um, as much of a 
moral, of course, dilemma, but also um, a, I suppose, a constitutional dilemma. If it, when you really boil down to like what your the points that you're making, and they're all excellent, which is why I was just letting you talk because I do agree with you. Um, and while his thoughts and his fantasies are in fact very disgusting, and this is a true cr- true crime channel. Um, and no, he did not actually carry out any of these crimes. Um, it's just the, the, it's very taboo and he, he's expressing these, uh, very dark, uh, disgusting and violent fantasies on a public forum. And now we all know about it. And, um, it's, it's very shocking to hear that there are people out there that think this way and want to do these things. And I think that shock is what drives a lot of people to anger about it. But I do, I do agree with you that um, thoughts do not need, should not be criminalized. It's actions that should be criminalized, right? Um, that seems very black and white. We've talked about this before, uh, where we've talked about, you know, it, it is, it's very, it's your right to be a shit person. It's your right. I think the example we were using was um, racism. You can think racist thoughts. You can be a racist. You can be a shitty person. You can be a horrible individual. And that is your right. Do we, like you said, we're not, you don't condone, but you understand. And every single American gets those rights, whether you agree with the person's um, expression of those rights or not. So criminalizing thoughts, once you do it for one person, you're going to start doing, you're going to have to set a precedent for everyone else. And eventually it's going to affect law abiding citizens who have normal thoughts. And then you start the downward spiral into the book you mentioned, 1984, where if you're not thinking and agreeing directly in line with the government entity, you're being um, punished legally. And, and in some cases in that book, you're put to death or you're exiled or whatever. People like to think it would never get that extreme, but like you said, our our uh, our society and our moral boundaries have changed and flexed so much in just the last fifty years, to the point where now we're okay with sexualizing children. And if you speak out about it, you are the one that's in the wrong. It's very scary how fast this is going. It's, um, it's it, even. It does, it, it is even broader than that. If you want to talk about our society, meaning Western society, like more so than the United States, like think about what's going on in right. Canada. There are people up there oh, who yes. are being persecuted for what they for the, what they say and what they believe, taking part in uh, political demonstrations. They're having their bank accounts seized. But I mean, it, it goes even further than that in Europe. Uh, if, if you look into this for yourself, I encourage you to. Don't take me at my word. But uh, in Germany and other countries, uh, police officers will cite and arrest people for things that they post on social media if they if they post racist things or hateful things or transphobic things or homophobic things uh totally unself-aware they're sending the stormtroopers around to german citizens and policing the expressions of their thoughts one of the most Mm -hmm. egregious examples and i have no idea why more people aren't more concerned about this but german chancellor angela merkel once uh, saw fit to punish one of her own citizens for criticizing uh, the supreme leader of the country of Turkey on uh, on social media. So yeah, somebody in, in Germany literally saw fit to criticize the leader of another country in a public forum 
and the leader of their country punish them. So like if I wanted to criticize Justin Trudeau on the Internet, uh, can you imagine Joe Biden sending the feds to come lock me up? That's what's going on in Germany, a country that socially isn't that different from us, but they're becoming more and more progressively leftist, progressively fascist uh, all the time. Well, that's not a good look, Germany. No, it's not. It's not a good (laughs) look. We've been down this road before. (laughs) They won't figure it out. They keep like stepping into the situation (laughs) where they they keep having uh, uh, situations like this. And and what I don't get is, is that that leftists and liberals don't see don't see this in the reflection. I always get I always get uh, people saying that Donald Trump and Republicans are the fascist ones. And I and I ask people to think critically about that. What is fascism? Fascism is big government. It's it's huge, big government. So when you talk about leftism and progressive politics and Democrat Party stuff, it's always about increasing the size of government, about increasing the size of entitlement programs, increasing mm-hmm. spending. The, the liberal mindset is about having as big a government possible. If you extend that to its logic and regulations, thank you. And if you extend that to its maximum end to the biggest government possible, what is that? It's fascism. So what is conservatism by contrast? A person like me, I want very little government. If you took what I believe about having a conservative, small government with very little spending, very few entitlements, very few programs, very little regulation, and if you extended that to its full amount, what would you have? Anarchy. Now, I'm not saying mm-hmm. anarchy is the way to go, but I'm just saying don't confu- don't don't conflate conservatism with fascism because they're polar opposites. And if you yes. think of yourself as a, as a progressive person and as a liberal, you may be, uh, want to be wary of the path that you're on because the path that you're on is one of fascism by definition, whether you like it or not. If you believe in a bigger government, a bigger government, by the way, is never more compassionate. Every time we have more laws or uh, more spending or an enlargement of government, what you have by definition is a reduction in in a human being's and an individual's right to make determinations for themselves. In other words, uh, every time you have have a new law or a bigger government, you have a boot heel crushing out freedom. And I don't know what that has to do with Gil Val at all or why I'm on this soapbox, but there you have it. Yeah, we are on, we're kind of off in the weeds here. I just want to make one comment and then we'll get to his uh, trial and stuff. And I, I say off in the weeds, I'm enjoying it very much, but people came here to listen about true crime. So we should probably go back to that. Um, And we'll get into it again. We're the only show during the week that doesn't like get political at all. Like, cause Uncuffed gets pretty political sometimes. Wednesdays, obviously, just straight politics. Thursdays, even sometimes I'm talking about politics on the sports show. Tuesdays need yeah. to stay purely out of politics. And yet here we are. But you know what? If you well, love it in the chats, go ahead and put a one for more, more outlandish uh, <laughs> libertarian politics in the chats. Put a one. Also, uh, uh, put it too. if you think driver's licenses are just a way that the government has to control you. If you think driver's licenses are immoral and should be done away with, put it number two. And if you think the driver's licenses are fine, put a number three. Thank we need you. to do I, a I more polls. We, we need to do a Patreon episode. You and I talking about driver's licenses. We, we could do, do a 30 minute. Episode. We could. Um, <laughs> The comment I was going to make uh, on your what you were talking about with the spectrum from like anarchy to fascism and, and all that stuff. I had a history teacher explain this to me and maybe some people don't agree with it, but it made sense in my mind that the spectrum is actually a circle. And at the top of the circle, you have anarchy. And at the bottom of the circle, you have complete and utter government control over everything. And fascism and communism are kind of down here at the bottom and they come up like this. 
So if you're going right, you're you're circulating towards you're still circulating towards anarchy if you go super right because I mean, there's like a there's everything's gray, it's on a spectrum, but essentially if you're in a government governmentless land, a lawless land where you're the one making the rules, that is a form of anarchy whether you want to admit it or not. Same thing with the other way. If all you want to do is whatever you want to do and not have laws and be destructive, that's anarchy. So it kind of all comes at the top and it also meets at the bottom. And I think that's why if you go too far left, you're becoming a fascist because you're just going down the scale to the other side now. And I don't think people recognize that. Um, whether or not you whether or not you guys agree with that, I don't know. It makes sense to me because I kind of look at it the same way. But like you said, we're not a political show, so <laughs> we won't go too far into it. But um, well, Gil- we're trying not to be, but we just we are at the moment. So, well, this case is, uh, you know, originally we were going to do, um, and we'll do it in a, uh, on another episode. But we originally were going to do like a double feature ep- ep- episode, <laughs> episode, episode, where we um, we feature two smaller cases that aren't necessarily as salacious as like, you know, a quadruple homicide at a yogurt shop. Right. But, but they're still interesting and we want to present them to you, but they don't quite fill like an hour. (laughs) Uh, We're approaching an hour, but we both felt like this was a a good single episode because it is full of a lot of moral and legal and, and political dilemmas that we could discuss. Um, Anyway, if if uh, if you think that a double feature is something you'd be interested in, then drop a one. And if you like this style more, then drop a two. There's another poll for you, John. If you like so, my beard, also put in a number one. <laughs> I just want to I just want to confound the results so that when you're looking at this, you're not sure if people are praising my beard or they're saying they don't want <laughs> double feature episodes. Oh boy. So Gil was um, arrested along with a couple of other conspirators. Um, I believe they were in the same area. Um, but regardless, Gil goes to, he goes to trial. He's arrested when he's arrested between, between his arrest and his trial. I think he spent 21 months in, in jail. Um, he went to trial for the conspiracy to kidnap. And then also for the misuse of the um, NCIC to research Kimberly and a couple of other women find their addresses and things like that. The jury finds him guilty of these charges, but the judge in the case um, makes his own ruling, which is something judges can do just because a jury comes back, not guilty or guilty. The judge can say, um, well, maybe not in all States. You might, might correct me on that one if you know, but um the judge can override a jury's conviction if he or she feels like it doesn't um, properly fit the charges or the scenario or the case or whatever. And in this case, yeah, the judge did that. He felt like the prosecution didn't do a good enough job proving that his um, online correspondence with these people was more than just fantasy talk, basically. And he he overturned the jury's conviction, excuse me, their verdict. And he, he um, acquitted Gil of the charges and he was free. He was a free man. Um, There was an appeal. Is that called judgment? Notwithstanding verdict, I believe. Correct. Yes. Notwithstanding the verdict. Um, 
it's basically yeah the over the, he overrode the the jury rule essentially it's the the wikipedia has this the practice whereby the presiding judge uh can overrule the decision of a jury it looks like here this is just in a civil case i'm not sure if this applies to a criminal case so maybe this isn't what it would apply here but uh per perhaps it is you know it varies by state i i when i was in constitutional law in criminal in, in criminal justice classes the problem is is that was like a 2003 uh i would I would. I, I believe there is a process whereby a judge can just decide, like the state didn't re meet their burden of proof, and never even give it to a jury. If a if a defense attorney uh, also believes that a burden of proof hasn't been met, they can instead of asking for the jury trial, they can ask the judge just for a summary judgment, and they can say, hey, "Judge, like there's clearly, you know, I'm there." Yeah. It's, it's another way of asking for a mistrial is to just ask for for the summary right. judgment. Um, I wish I was a lawyer. Uh, I used to know more about the law. Um, You'd but, make a uh, great lawyer. Thank you. That's true. I, I genuinely, <laughs> I genuinely believe you would make a really good lawyer. And it's and it's not just because I'm from a small town, southern country boy, and I look real good when I pull my suspenders out from my chest. Now, I'm just a small town lawyer, but you ask me, this boy here didn't do no wrong, and if he did do the wrong, well, shoot, <laughs> you know, something like that, you know. She's yeah, furrowing that's... her brow. She re she's re she she's like, never mind. You would not be a good lawyer. <laughs> I'm sorry, I ruined it. So the <laughs> the, uh, the case went to appeals court uh, after this because the actual state. Well, I, I think it was the U I think it was the U.S. appellate court. They went all the way up to the U.S. appellate court. They um, they tried to appeal the decision and. They still maintained the um, the original judge's um, ruling that it was not sufficient evidence to prove, like you said, to fulfill the burden of guilt on the state's end. And that, I believe, reflects what you were saying, where um, what constitutes a conspiracy charge? Where do we, um, how do you prove the intent? How do you gather the evidence? Because it can be very gray. If you're just if you haven't made any real steps, like you said, there was no there was no evidence that Gil actually made um, efforts to purchase a cabin in the woods. There were no there was no um, evidence to show that he had built any contraptions to um, imprison women or had tools that he could use to torture women or um, bought plane tickets or anything like that, which is usually stuff that you would include in a conspiracy charge. I wish that I had access to like the warrants and like the the um, paperwork, but I believe it was um, FBI and that's just a lot more difficult to get than, than local stuff. But uh, I have, I have seen conspiracy charges go to trial and there's usually a lot, there's a lot there um, that shows great effort, like means an effort to carry out whatever it was that they were uh, intending to do. A lot of them were drug charges, which is, was much easier to prove than something like this. But um, the judge's ruling tells me that he really um, didn't make any concerted effort to carry these things out, whether or not he intended to or not. That's not up for the, I say that and I'm going to get, I'm going to get backlash for this, but you can't, know someone's 
personal moral um, drive or intent and punish them based on that. You have to have it spelled out for you and evidence to show that Mm -hmm. this person had the intent to do it. Whether, like you said, two people talking about something that might be taboo to another person because they're both interested in it is not conspiracy. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Um, well, you also, uh, so, so often this is something that people actually want from us. And I know this because people will call me and they'll they'll request police action for things. People want the minority report. They literally want police officers to stop the commission of crimes. Now, conspiracy to blow up a building, conspiracy to abduct and rape a woman. Are these things police officers should be interrupting? Yes, I believe in interdiction. I believe in proactive policing. Sure. So, so many, so many times people will actually call the police and they want us to do things. And it's just like, well, you know, this and this situation is going to happen. And and what do we do? So like a good example of that would be a call recently where uh, somebody, uh, somebody uh, bonded out their friend uh, from jail and they said, uh, she's, uh, she's packing her bags and she's going to California and I I don't want to forfeit my bond. And it's just like, well, so she's thinking about it. She's, you know, planning to do it. She's could. She's at least, you know, I get that you're not a co-conspirator because you're ratting her out, but she's like, she's talking to you about it. Uh, you know, if you, if she, if you say, I'm going to lend you the keys to my vehicle, then I guess, you know, you're, you're taking an overt act and overact in the criminal conspiracy of, uh, uh, aiding and abetting, uh, you know, fugitive from justice. Right. Um, yeah. But like, what are the police supposed to do? Like she hasn't committed the crime until she leaves the jurisdiction until she flees Correct. the state. So, so what are we supposed to do? Am I supposed to park two police cars out of her house and make sure she doesn't leave, even though she's already out on bond, just so this person who called doesn't forfeit their bail? I wanted to say to the lady, like, you you essentially took a gamble. You were willing to put down your money saying that she would not leave the jurisdiction. You made a bad bet because I guess she wants to go to California. I appreciate you giving me a heads up that she's going to California. And if she leaves and we can stop her from doing that, I guess we're going to. But I'm also not going to put a deputy at the end of your driveway when she leaves because you said she has intentions to leave the state and go to California. You, right. you know, we have, we get intelligence sometimes about crimes that are happening in the future, but police really don't have the ability sometimes to prevent a crime from happening. Uh, yeah. You know, they go ahead. I mean, it doesn't strictly apply in this case, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a great example of how sometimes people want police officers to do things to prevent crime in the future. And we just, sometimes there's some things that we can only react to as police officers, right? Kendra. Yes. And, um, on a, this is such a, um, I don't want to say galaxy brain because that's not the right term, but, uh, trying to, trying to properly articulate the fact that I understand, but don't condone, right? Because my personal opinion is that Gil is sick and that he had, I full heartedly believe that he had every intention of carrying out these crimes. I believe that because I can, I have deductive reasoning and you don't just overnight like if you if you have violent fantasies against women and and you're thinking about um in a in a very very non-consensual way to the point where you're murdering them and cooking them and eating them and that brings you sexual gratification you need you need help that's disgusting you should never want to bring that probably It'll probably escalate. Even if he never became a cannibal, he Correct. might get to the point where he's just stalking women. Even if all he's doing is driving around the mall and and watching people and and masturbating while he's doing it, guess what? He's already escalated to the point where he's a deviant criminal, and that's that's a and problem. He was, even if 
even if he never becomes full BTK, like he's right yes. on the line of, of becoming somebody we don't want near our schools and near our malls. Yes. And he was 28 at the time, 27, 28. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of examples and cases of serial killers or, or criminals, serial criminals who commit rapes and horrendous crimes against people who um, it builds up. It doesn't start off. The first step isn't a murder. The first step is having sexual fantasies or being a peeping Tom or writing these, these storylines and, and vocalizing your desire with other people. Okay. That's another thing that we could talk about forever. The internet grabbed all these people and put them in us in the same room. And it's, I think it's helped to really um, drive a lot of the weird shit that's going on right now because there was shame in it before because people thought they were the only ones, but now they've connected on the internet and they realize there's a whole community of other people like them and their strength in numbers. And they're a lot more bold about it now. And they, they encourage um, and inspire each other too. Obviously correct. they, uh, they, they yes. share things like that. I did want to note Kendra, although I appreciate yeah. your opinion and I'm always inclined to agree with you. They did have uh, the famed uh, forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz who interviewed the famous cannibal serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, Park Dietz did evaluate Gil Val. And I guess he looked at his case for two days, which to me is not the same thing as interviewing Jeffrey Dahmer. No. But uh, he looked at uh, everything that was going on with Gil and says, you know, that his his sexuality is violent, but it's sort of cartoonish and that he doesn't pose a risk to anyone in the community and uh, that he doesn't believe that he would evolve into being someone who was a cannibal in the style of uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Famous last words, right? Like, you know, now that uh, Gil Val is under so much scrutiny and everyone knows him as the cannibal cop and he's trying to, um, you know, he he actually cooperates with a large number of documentaries. There was one on HBO that he did. I watched a true crime documentary in which he sat through some of the most uh, ridiculous lines of questioning. They were really insulting questions and he just sat there and took it because now <laughs> every everything that he's everything that he's done like he can't be a police officer anymore so now he's ca cashing in on infamy right he's written a book called raw deal which is sort of inappropriate uh given that uh his sexual proclivities and and the the you know the infantile actions which he apologized for upon his release from prison uh he's now cashing in on and so he, he's he's legitimately not a good person right he's he's going to take his infamy about his uh the things that he did and the things he was charged with and the things he was acquitted of. And he's going to turn those things into cash. So uh, he'll, he'll never have the, the low profile that Jeffrey Dahmer once enjoyed in order to prey on people. But uh, you know, even during this interview uh, this guy is like basically shitting on me and goes, you're pretty much a shit person. And you know, he's just like, well, you know, I'm a lot of people are shitty, you know, he's kind of deflecting these things and, and, and then goes like, well, do you still go to these websites? And he goes, well, I don't go to that one anymore. I still look at pornography, which isn't a big deal. And I'm in therapy and things like this. And it's just like, and I just feel so bad for him because he actually does have a daughter, right? Who like is someday going to see all of these things and know all these things and know why his dad's not in the NYPD and why his mom left him. And he just, you know, is straight up talking to the news about, you know, the things that he does. And he, and, and the one sense, like you have to admire his candor. Like he, he knows he's been caught with his proverbial pants down. Everyone knows kind of what a bad guy he is but he in the classic criminal thinking style like what we talked about last week about how you know it's always someone else's fault he did he's the, you know this is the way i am this is the way that i'm programmed this is not my fault i didn't do anything wrong 
And, and now he's taking it and he's writing not only the book Raw Deal about what happened to him, but didn't he write an, another book too that's supposedly just his uh, sexual horror fiction? This is the book. It's a, called A Gathering of Evil. I've read this for the first time in like, I think probably like five years ago. And I've debated on whether or not I should read some of it because it's very gross. If you, it's, it's essentially his, it's a fiction novel of his fantasies, right? The basically, basically what it, it outlines, um, two people who have this, they're an older, wealthy, married couple, and they have this fantasy that they want to kidnap a young girl and torture her and, and rape her and kill her. And they go on this forum and they find these people and they essentially, they find people who are interested in the same things. They start, they hire these ex-military guys who are in the same thing to stalk these two women in the city and then another guy to kid, kidnap his niece um, who's an 18 year old high school student and they they kidnap these women they take them back to their home in upstate New York and they have essentially a closed snuff party where they have people pay them a certain amount to come up there and, and torture these women to death and the fact that he could think of something like this now I know like okay this that's not original right like how many horror movies have you seen where that kind of shit happens you know but um and I only watch party. nice movies. I don't watch movies that glorify <laughs> crime, as you damn well know. And snuff parties are a real thing. They still happen. They're always happening. It's like, a, it, so it's not like he's completely coming up with this on his own, but the fact that this is coming out of his brain, um, I know we talked about moral and personal standard and everything, and we shouldn't criminalize thoughts, but I mean, oh my God. Uh, should I read a paragraph out of here? Yeah, you could. But just, okay. uh, you know, if you think it's getting too much, you know, just pump the brakes. You can stop anytime. Well, you know, I <laughs> I have no filter. So you stop me if you think that this is. I'm not going to like this no matter what. I'm, this You're whole not. episode was always bound to end in tears. This is really gross. And I'm not a trigger warning person, but I don't want to. I don't want to, like, dump this on you. And, like, to me, it's. If you've seen Saw and you've seen Hostel, this is not going to shock you. That's about how bad it is. But I just want people to understand. I have not seen those films. Am I, am I going to be shocked? <laughs> Maybe. I just want people to understand. Like, this this is a person who was a cop. He was a normal family guy. Someone who has friends and social life and all that. This could be your neighbor writing this, okay? And looking at you and thinking these things about you. Just thought you should, you know, go to bed with those nice thoughts. Okay, here we go. Um, Howard approached Jennifer again. She appeared to have regained some of her spunk. That pleased him since torturing a semi-conscious woman would be rather pointless. He reached into the dissection kit and took the scalpel. He had a feeling this would be his last shot, so he wanted to make it most memorable. He sliced away the thread that had sewn her vagina shut. He pulled the needle out of her skin and tossed it onto the floor. He put on a pair of latex gloves and got started on what he envisioned would be his f grand finale. He stuck the blade of the scalpel into her vagina and twisted it. Oh, she's back. Jennifer's hysterical shrieking pierced the air and blood poured out of her slowly 
Blood poured out as he slowly cut away inside, performing an impromptu genital mutilation. Scream for me, bitch. <laughs> I could have done without that. So, uh, but and that's disgusting, and I, I'm sorry, but you, uh, this is you can read all of those fantastical stories in this book if you want. Um, <laughs> Down at I've, the local library, what was that? Uh, <laughs> you're probably too young for reading Rainbow, right? Do you remember reading Rainbow? Hell no, I love reading Rainbow. Okay, because I because the whole thing. Yes, exactly. Thank you. That, don't I look in this book, kids. Don't, don't look, look in this book. book. I almost, after you read that, I think on the audio, I might splice in a, a portion of that song uh, just to, to, <laughs> to kind of maybe cheer people up and enjoy the irony of that. But uh, so, so let me ask you, getting back to a serious question, given what you just read, and I'll put this out to the audience, Kendra, this is not really a question for you to answer, but I'm, but I mean this question seriously, given what you just read, do you feel, would you feel comfortable with that person who wrote that being the police officer who responds uh, to a problem at your elementary school? Do you have a problem with that person being an SRO? Do you have a problem with that person having authority over you when they do when they do a perform a traffic stop on you? Do you have a problem uh, being a victim of a, of a violent assault or a sexual assault and being the, that being the police officer that you report that to? Uh, I think that uh, if you are a police officer, uh, you do hold a certain level of public trust. And I think I think any administration, if they know this about you, that those are your proclivities, that those are the things going on inside of you. I think just from a PR standpoint, it's a bad idea for you to have the badge on. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean that you didn't wouldn't necessarily be a good police officer. Doesn't mean you necessarily wouldn't be empathetic to someone reporting those crimes. But like, you know, the phrase is so often, you know, perception is reality, and and I reject that, of course, because like I'm I'm very much an objective reality person, but. The, in the real world, unfortunately, feelings matter. And in the world that we're in now, unfortunately, feelings matter more than truth. But when you're dealing with uh, an agency, the government, and people who actually have authority over you, you've got to be able to trust them. And things like this hurt the public trust. Like we've said it before, uh, the appearance of impropriety is impropriety itself. You have to be beyond suspicion. No one should ever be looking at you as a professional and think, if I tell them the story about what happened to my daughter while she was at her grand, while she was having a birthday party with her grandfather and something bad happened, how is he going to take it? Is he going to view this as uh, something that's you know, vile and disgusting as we all do, or does he think of it as material for uh, the next bestseller? I think that those kinds of things, uh, they hurt the badge. I think that they hurt, they hurt the honor of the profession. And I, and if you, you're someone that writes those things, you're not going to be my friend. I, I think you're a little bit deviant and you're a little bit too gross to be my buddy, but I don't think you're a criminal. You can go out and do those things under the law. I don't think the law should be used to, to, for prior restraint to stop you. I think if people want to want to sue you for defamation of character, things like that, I think there's recourse for that. But I guess, no, I don't think you should be a police officer. No, I don't think you should be mentioning people you know in your online role play. And no, I don't think you should be using official databases as part of that. So I don't think he deserves to be a police officer. But I also think that the jury convicting him uh, based on their moral outrage alone uh, probably yeah. wasn't enough. Yeah, I think that that was driven by moral outrage. And I also think um, it's important to note that I do also believe that people are multifaceted and that you just because you have some sort of weird kink or you uh, you have a hobby that might be a little weird or I think most people, most normal, healthy people can separate um, those different 
parts of themselves and still perform a job like law enforcement, firefighting, be, you know, be in the military um, <clears throat> and not have it be a problem. I don't think that it always necessarily, um, <laughs> I don't think it always necessarily affects your job. But like I mentioned earlier, there's a line. Um, if you, there's a very big difference. And one of the things that came out of this case, I know was uh, the BDSM community was like very defensive about um, <clears throat> their own brand of things that they do. And I understand that because there's a line, you know, um, this is not that. This is not consensual to adults doing things that they want to do. Uh, there's no problem with that. This is, um, I mean, you heard what I, well, you didn't hear all of it because you took your headphones off, but you heard what I read. And that's, that is something that he, that Gil would get off to. That makes, that brings him, that kind of harm brings him sexual gratification. And maybe we can't criminalize thoughts and we shouldn't criminalize thoughts. And the conspiracy charge was pretty weak in this case and he got off. But um, on a moral standpoint, on a, yeah, you shouldn't be um, in the public standpoint, I would not. How could you possibly ever trust somebody who thinks that way? Because um, you don't... Now it's like, is every woman you come across a potential victim of yours now? Yeah. And that's the I, problem with things like this is, you know, you can have I, your whatever, but there's a line and we shouldn't I, tolerate I, certain things. I think the line is, is when it involves your profession. And, uh, you know, we've seen instances <laughs> yeah. of this before. Uh, like like this. This is a. Uh, these are two uh, U.S. Army <laughs> active duty people uh, taking pictures of themselves wearing wow. their, their bizarre furry uh, BDSM masks. And uh, to me, this is so grotesque. This is such a degradation of the flag, a degradation of mm -hmm. the uniform. It's a degradation of service. It's a degradation of everything that we fought for at Omaha Beach and Iwo Jima and all across the world. And but this is the way that our society is going, where we're normalizing things like this. And uh, this, you know, this is clearly egregious as well. But you know, case in point, what what is it that about these pictures that really bothers you aside from like the sexual proclivity of it all, which I find bizarre? But it's it's the public trust, right? Like these are the these are the men in these photos who are tasked with protecting our country from harm and invasion and killing and death. And um, this is this is who they are to the point where they want to show the world. And that's who Vil Gil Val was, because the case in point, even now, he's violated the public trust. He's been uh, discharged from his job as a police officer, but he still wants to show who he really is to the world, uh, rather whether he enjoys the ignominy or the infamy or the money. He's willing to still be this guy uh, for public display. And I don't think he's uh, nearly as ashamed about it as he should be. No, you know, I, I read some of his memoir, not memoir, uh, autobiography or whatever book that he wrote. And uh, I couldn't get through it because it just pissed me off. He was very yeah. much like, you can't help what you're sexually attracted to, blah, 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 blah. Like, sure, that's, that's true that's, in a well, sense, I, you know, but, but you uh, also. I, it's true and not, not true. Like, Self-control is a thing. Like you cannot just say, well, my or, sexuality yeah. is completely unchained and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not bound by, by any kind of uh, self-restraint or impropriety. Like people are sexually attracted to things that are bad. And when that is the case, you need to adjust yourself. 
And uh, this is a little bit of my uh, puritanical uh, piety or whatever you, you have. But uh, the Bible says, like, if you if you can't control yourself, uh, then you just need to not be having sex. You need to be doing other things like um, if, if sex is something you need to be having, then you need to be doing it uh, the right way. The way that the Bible defines that is, is in a relationship with a woman inside the the sanctity of marriage. Okay. So maybe that's just too much to ask from the society at large now, but I think that we can, uh, we can ask you to uh, restrain yourself from being a person in, in the, in the public trust or in the public eye. And uh, we can re we can ask you to restrain yourself from harming other people, discussing real life human beings. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, writing writing books about what it is that you did for profit. I know that uh, O.J. Simpson at one point uh, wanted to write a book, If I Did It, you know, about the murders of uh, Nicole Brown Simpson and, and others. It's like, yeah, uh, there, yeah. there's a line of tastelessness uh, beyond which we have to demand as a society you not cross. And I think I think Colonel's dressing up in BDSM masks. I think O.J. Simpson writing books about what he did. And I think uh, I think Gil Val is a police officer using NCIC. And uh, writing about his friends and in, uh, in, in torture porn fantasy stuff, I think, is all too far. It's way too far. Way it's too, too far, far, Kendra. And and like I said, you some people, I believe people can separate that. And when you're not separating it, it's consumed you. And that's a problem. And you need help. Yeah. Do go get help. Help is available. And uh, you can't just say, well, it's not my fault. You like you like like we like I said, I think therapy is available for you. If what if what you're into was made public and it would destroy your life, then it's time for therapy. Yeah. And yes. All right. 100%. Well, I, I'm really proud of this episode because when we, when we start, sat down and started talking about this, Kendra was hundred percent pro Gil Val. I uh, really loved oh the guy and I, and I was able to, uh, through, yeah, that's why uh, I bought uh, his book and read it twice. <laughs> careful discourse and reasoning. I was able to convince her of what a creep is. So, I mean, that's, that's one that I was able to change her mind. <laughs> This shows you the power of persuasion and uh, the erosive power of time and energy that you can change someone's thoughts. And if you could change Kendra, you could change yourself. So by all means, uh, fix your own fucked up shit. Uh, Kendra, do, does that about do it for us this uh, True Crime Tuesday? Yeah, Gil's living his life. And um, he, like you said, he'd been, he's been doing interviews. He's got his books. And I contributed to his life because I bought one. And, um, you know, ass. <laughs> That graphic was uh, reloaded <laughs> in there just to get just in case I made an ass out of myself. And wouldn't you know what? It actually came up, folks. Uh, Failure to stop is a whole thread of different shows uh, throughout the week. Next up is going to be uh, Wednesdays. Is going to be oh, what's that show called? Last Call, the show that you need <laughs> to not sound like an asshole. They get all the news on politics and current events that you need. That's what hands in that like. And then on Thursday we're going to be talking sports. So uh, the results of uh, the championship Ooh, games. Boy. Uh, the Lions going to the Super Bowl? Question mark, because I'm not sure. Uh, but I will be by the time you see this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, on Friday, we have all the big case breakdowns. Uh, we appreciate you uh, listening to Failure to Stop, listening to True Crime Tuesday. If you do have a case, send it to Kendra at truecrimedrama at gmail.com. And you can always reach out to me at Difficult to Look at Pictures. Thanks always for listening to uh, Failure to Stop True Crime and making it your favorite true crime show. Unlike those other shows that are very, very well researched, but have no moral <laughs> grandstanding at all and no conservative politics and no police shit in them. So we appreciate you listening. Uh, be safe. Be smart. Don't get yourself true crime. And whatever, man. Whatever. Don't. Do not. Uh 
if you have these types of fantasies, don't don't talk about them. Just keep them to yourself. What are you- keep a, keep that shit We're to back. yourself. We're back. You keep that shit to yourself. You take it to your grave like a grown man would, like a good American would. Yes, whatever, dude. Whatever, man. <laughs>